it's not like you're walking around and there's just this one voice that's saying do this or don't do that you know there's that voice is there but then there could also be a hundred other voices from ego from your conscious mind from greed from all these other places and so all of those voices are kind of competing with each other and what i found is that that's one of the reasons why the practice of meditation is so essential Record. I know she doesn't want to, but I want to. No, I want to. I know you want to quit. I'm done. I know. <laughs> <laughs> what if there was just a big reveal on the show? Then I was just like, hey, this is it. It would stop. Last time. <laughs> you think I would be able to do it? It would stop. I thought about that. I'm like, it would stop. There's no way. There's no There's way. There's no me without well, you. Yeah. Try. What this is would not be mm-hmm. without the other. Yes. You know? It would become something else. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it would become a porn channel. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I was trying to do my porn voice, but sometimes it makes me uncomfortable. Mm. Do you ever use that voice? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In yeah, the bed? I do. You do. <laughs> no, yeah, no. We were just recording our new intro. Mm-hmm. And what did it's I... It's very interesting. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's a cr- great intro. It's a great intro, but it's crazy when you say things over and over and yes. then you try or to it was, make it um, different. Oh yeah. Here we go. <laughs> so at the end of it, it's, we're like, Hey, you know, you don't know what to say. Like, yeah, you, like, honestly, you're like, Hey, this is the podcast Hop on the magic carpet. Here Get, we go. Yeah, <laughs> Saddle up. Like what the fuck can you say? So we say, here we go. Cause truly here we go. <laughs> and so what'd you, you like lost it. I was it. like, I was like, here we go. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> you're like, it, well, the one you were like, here what? we go. It was like, it was like, you just like, I said, here we go. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Literally. It's like, if I was talking to my dog, I'm like, here we go. Yeah, literally. Well, Take like, a piss. Yeah. You're like, I don't know what's going to happen. Here we go. <laughs> so much unknown. It was, it was, it was like, good luck. Here we go. Like the subtext of everything we were saying. When we do our intro, oh, it's shit. like, it's so crazy. Cause like every time it's just, unique like i'm like unique you're tuning into the or or what did i say like you're listening yeah so i'm like you're listening to the almost 30 podcast and sometimes i'm like you're listening to the almost 30 podcast sometimes i'm like you're listening to the almost 30 podcast like every time it's it's and it's really hard to like get every cadence right yeah and get every drop the right. inflection is the inflection. weird because like because you could say it one way with a s- certain inflection pattern yes. and then with a different inflection pattern, it means cause something completely, completely different. different. I'm like, wait, what? Yes. It's Very. really, it's, it's interesting. 
We almost need like a third person in the room. I know. To like tell us. Tell us, but I think it turned out great. So changes every time. Fuck y'all. I know. So fuck y'all. <laughs> if you don't like the new intro, suck it. Uh, we had to change it because we um, said that our podcast came out every Tuesday and it comes yeah. out every Tuesday, Thursday. But now we just know. don't say it. But now we just don't say it. Yeah, we don't say what day it comes out because we don't know. We might drop one on you on a Sunday morning. Because here we go. <laughs> here we go. Here we go. And then we just got off of our ambassador call. Oh man. Let so me we're doing ya. an ambassador program and it's basically like an MLM. So there's a bunch of little groups. <laughs> Don't that, even say they it. They pay us to be a part of it. I'm just oh, kidding. Man. Uh, it's, a pyramid, <laughs> it's a pyramid scheme. Let me reiterate. Yeah. It's not an MLM. I'm just kidding. It's not an MLM. No one pays. Literally our group almost b- burst open because <laughs> the talk of MLM. Oh shit. Yeah. You know, yeah, um, no, but it's it's actually the craziest. It's so cool, the coolest thing. We have ambassadors, about forty of them thus far, all over the country and in London, um, all over the world. Who are we need our Australia ambassadors? Where you I at? Think, yeah, I think. Yeah, where are you at? But I, I, I almost think, <laughs> I almost think, <laughs> I almost think they like reached out and they're in the process of like. <laughs> <laughs> they should be. Yeah. Where are you? At? They're pretty vocal. <laughs> and I, I know that's what's weird is we have a lot of um, Australian based listeners. So I don't know where you at. I can't wait to come to Australia and f- my Australian accent will turn on just automatically and it'll be so bad. And they'll tell me exactly how bad it is. Justin's really bad at it. Oh my God. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. I'm so excited. And so the ambassador program is basically so that we empower the people in our community to host events in their cities. Yeah. And it could look like anything. It could yeah. be a meetup of three people at a coffee shop, or it could be 50 people at a workout in a park. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. It could be whatever you want. Well, <laughs> yeah. not whatever. Ugh. This is not like a cult yeah, weird it's thing. Approved. <laughs> yeah, not whatever. Uh, They're like, hey, we branded ourselves this week. I know. God. <laughs> nope. Um, but we're just so excited because, you know, we through the tour have just been able to see the power of coming together in community. No matter what it looks like, it is powerful. So we're just, I mean, witnessing this and in awe. In awe and we just get on the call with the ambassadors and they already have, you know, brunches planned and volunteer events planned and like little pizza parties planned. And mm-hmm. it's really nice because there was also, there was a girl that reached out to our email and, Oh, she was from Ohio. Mm. Um, I don't have my phone in front of me, but she's from Middletown, Ohio. And she it was to me, cause she's like, you're from Ohio, you know where I'm from. And there's not a lot of people in my area that, I can connect with on the topics that you guys connect with on the podcast, which I can completely Such understand. I've been there. So she didn't know that we had, you know, an almost 30 Ohio chapter um, that she could join. So now she's part of the almost 30 Ohio chapter and it gives her the opportunity to connect with women that are interested in personal growth, development, spirituality, everything that we are about. You know, she's now a part of a community of women that are are like her and she didn't know we're in Ohio or, or near her. So that's really the point of it. And that's been, you know, the best and most beautiful part of everything. Yeah. So you can search for the subgroups um, through our Secret Almost 30 Facebook group. Um, and if you don't see your city there and you'd like to start a subgroup and become an ambassador, uh, you can email community at almost 30 podcast 
com. We will be launching our Almost 30 Nation Instagram soon. So you better like it when we launch Yeah, you it. better follow or it. Or follow it. That's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> you, better, yeah. you better like it and you follow it. You better enjoy that content. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to like it. You guys are going to yeah. like it. And then uh, for the Almost 30 Nation Instagram, it's like an opportunity for the mm-hmm. ambassadors and the people in our community to really connect with one another and to be showcased and to share their business or, you know, share what they're doing in their community. So it's really just a place for you guys to highlight one another. Truly, truly, madly, deeply. It's the best. How's everything good? It's okay. Today was, <laughs> today was a little bit of a roller coaster. I've eaten like ass today. I've been, I haven't been able to sleep lately too. And I'm taking Benadryl every night. Hmm. What, a, what is the feeling of is, not being able to sleep feel like? Is I it just feel like I have so energy? much energy. Yeah. Energy. So much energy and I can't, and it drives me crazy. I haven't been able to sleep, which isn't huh. usually like me. Usually I can sleep very well. Um, Maybe it's, I mean, this is probably not it, but it's its like the this month, this next month, it's just a lot of like, just kind of hyping up for this year ahead. I don't know. I know. Usually I'm f- so physically tired though, which is weird. Is like at the end of the day, sometimes it's hard to turn off my brain, but usually I'm so physically tired that I pass out but I haven't been physically tired in a long time. And I've been working out mm, less than normal, I guess, but like still I've been Mm. working out. So I don't know what it is. I probably may be having caffeine more than normal. That could be it. Yeah. Yeah, If you're sensitive to it, Mm -hmm. I guess. I guess. I think that's what it is to be completely honest, but taking Benadryl is easier. (laughs) Isn't that fucked up? I sleep real good on Benadryl, but Google. Like a melatonin too. Like Melatonin doesn't keep me asleep. Oh really? Yeah, I wake up. Oh. I've been. I wake up every night in the middle of the night now too. Every night, and not go to, the, to pee. I, yeah, to, oh, pee. to go pee. to the bathroom. Justin woke up in the middle of the night, woke me up. We both peed. Oh, that's I know. cute. Then we get in bed and hold hands. Do you play like swords and stuff? But mm-hmm. like, yes. you don't have a sword, but you have like with my a finger sword yes, or something. Exactly, that's what I do. So I walk up to his. <laughs> you just sword. whack his dick. <laughs> yeah, it's four a.m. and I walk up to his sword. <laughs> I know it's weird. I don't know. I don't like that. I haven't been sleeping, and then today, this morning was just. I don't know. I was in a little funky funk. Just whenever I get an email Yo. from our tax guy, I basically spiral. Truly. Honestly, it's like it has four bullets and an Excel document attached to it. And I'm actually on the floor. It's yes. <laughs> I see more than four numbers and I'm like, I'm out of here. This is really hard mm-hmm. for me. But also it's about a bunch of freaking information from January, 2018 that I don't know shit about. Exactly. And like we, you know, for anyone who's started a business too, I'm sure you can understand like in the beginning, you're not thinking about all of the things that you should be thinking about when like tax season rolls along, you know? So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a lot about playing catch up now and just making sure everything is right and tight so that moving forward, you know, we're, we're good to go. But um, yeah, that's really fucking stressful and you're very good at managing it. Not really. But Brock, Brock is so smart. It's just like, it's hard because we don't know. We're like, what? Know, and I don't want to know. Yeah, I don't want to know. I, know. I don't want to know. So it's just so do it. True. I need to have him do my personal taxes too next year. Yeah, for Are sure. Are you going to? Or yeah. do you already have someone? I mean, I have, yeah, I have someone who is familiar with kind of the type of things that- Like stripping? Yeah, like stripping and like mm-hmm. working the corner and stuff. Yes. So I just need to make sure that's handled correctly. Make sure he handles it. <laughs> no, but actually- I didn't have as many of those types of jobs 
meaning like acting, whatever, whatever. So yeah, maybe I'll use Brock. But I also think too, the the types of emails that you've been going through, it's the first it's the first month back, you know, it's yes. the first it, people are fucking aggressive when they're back. Yes. It's like, boom, boom, people boom, are boom. back and they're fucking. Yeah. And we are, around. we are aggressive too. We so are, I'm sure I'm not playing around and no yeah. one else is playing around yeah. and I really didn't expect it. Yeah. I'm like, Oh wow. Like y'all are not here to play. And I'm being real honest this year. Yes. I like that. You're being I'm very be- honest. I'm being very too. good. Me too. I'm being very honest, but these are, I'm also being very tested. And, and I'm like, oh, do you, do you want to be honest all the time? Mm-hmm. Do you? Because here's some that opportunities. That is the immediate test. Yes. Yeah. When you Here's opportunities that. for you to be very honest. Yeah. So are you going to do it or not? For me too, the honesty um, helps to create boundaries, I guess, too. Mm-hmm. You know, like had a, had a situation the other day where someone expressed their feelings for me and I was really honest in my feelings back. And it just, it, it's for me, it felt immediately like I had created a really clear boundary, you know, and before it was like a little weird and fuzzy and, but it felt really good. I'm like, okay, so I can do that more often, whether it's someone like that or, or in business or in with family or whatever it is, it's just, great. So yeah, I mean, I love, I like, I love that part of you. That's like no bullshit. I'm not fucking around this year, but also it's scary. Cause I'm like, am I, I don't know. I need to, it's a fine line too. Cause I want to be a, I want to be a delight, but I think you can be an honest delight yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's just interesting. It, it's, it's figuring out literally the the words to use in order to express it is yeah. probably the hardest part, I would think. Mm-hmm. But people respect it. Yeah. If it's done in the right way. Yeah. yeah. How do you guys feel about being Is honesty honest? The best policy? <laughs> Next time. Next um, time. Almost 30. That was actually pretty funny on um Chris Leah's podcast when he was talking about like the NPR guy. He was impersonating oh, yeah. the NPR guy. Yes. And he's like, is honesty the Best policy? <laughs> <laughs> How they always like kind of answer answer with his like, imitations are pretty. They're good amazing. That shit, you yeah, know? they're like. So then I was walking in and I wondered, <laughs> is honesty the best policy? <laughs> <laughs> true that. True that. True that. Oh man. So today's episode is all about meditation. Meditation. We have Light Watkins on the podcast today. I heard Light on uh, Ritual a long time ago. He's been on Ritual maybe more than once. Um, I'm not sure, but I heard him on Ritual a while ago. I think it was before I moved to LA or maybe shortly thereafter and um, you know, became interested in his work and then attended a Shine event that yeah. he runs a group called The Shine and they host sober events that are for conscious people. And it was an amazing, awesome uh, event that had sweet green salads. I went with Erica Kimmick. There was great singers, comedians, all of these things. And it was really nice to be in an environment where, um, you know, everyone else there was really enlightened and really kind and there for the same things. Yeah. He's, he's someone that people go to, to start 
their meditation practice to yep. really start a solid foundation. He has a new book, um, Bliss More, How to Succeed in Meditation Without Really Trying. Um, really the nuts and bolts, like how to. And I think that people just get stuck in the beginning because they're not sure if it's quote unquote correct or if they're doing it the right way or whatever. So um, light is a great gateway into this practice. Yeah. I've been, I think you guys know, but I've been meditating for... 2019 now, mm-hmm. uh, six years, six years. Um, and meditation has completely changed my life as much as people say it has completely changed my life. Mm-hmm. It is the reason I am here today. It is the reason I am the person I am today. It is the reason that I have the personality that I have today. And I'm so thankful for it. Yeah. And you brought meditation really into my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew about it. I've done it before, but um, to Our make it a practice to everyone you yeah. know, talks about it. Yeah. But, um, we're together a lot. Mm-hmm. And so to have that being um, with me is like meditating truly all the t- 24 yeah. hours a day, seven 100%. days a week. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a meditation practice to know me. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Um, okay. So enjoy this episode. We will see you on the other side, but connect with light Watkins, um, lightwatkins.com and at Light Watkins on Instagram. His new book, Bliss More, is out now. You should grab it. And if you would like to talk about this episode, please join our secret Facebook group. We would love to see you in there. Yes. And then we also have an event happening on February 9th at Sage Wellness with Alexandra Roxo. You can see her on Instagram. She's one of my favorite accounts to follow. It's Alexandra R-O-X-O. And it is going to be a self-love, female, juicy, sexuality, feminine revolution style workshop that is going to be awesome. So go to almost30podcast.com and you can get tickets for that workshop happening on Saturday, February 9th at Sage Wellness with Alexandra Roxo, myself and Lindsay. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, I cannot wait for that. Okay, enjoy. Enjoy. I've been to a Shine event. Have you? It was amazing. I was just saying today I want to go. And Actually, I've been I'm trying to cut Who amazing out of my vocabulary. Monique, Retro? Bi- oh, bi- Biblio was singing. Right. Um, how do you say her so last that was name? Robert Egger speaking that yes. night? Yes. Yeah. That was a good one. Yeah. It was so great. It was in LA. It was right here in Santa Monica. And cross campus. Yeah. yeah. Cross campus. I went with my friend, Erica Kimmick, who I think you've met Amazing. before. Yeah. She, um, she does the, uh, boom. Yes. Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I saw that. I peeped that. <laughs> I peeped that. And Monique, I'm in there somewhere. Monique was like yes, you are. the singer. I don't know if you've ever heard her. She is the most. She's amazing. We can play some of Monique right yeah, now. Yeah, we should play it. So she used to be in like the pop music type space and now she's transitioned to more like conscious singing. Um, and Wait, I, Monique, who we like? Bibli. Oh, okay. Bibido or something? Okay. I need to figure out how to say her last name. Binibo. Binibo. Oh. And I like, she made me cry. It was like mm. one of those singers where you're like, yeah. Monique Binibo. This is from The Shine that oh. night. Oh, hold it up to the thing. So he owns the rights, so. <laughs> I, am I was just listening to this the other day. Isn't that funny? Mm-hmm. She's like a storyteller. Tide and walking through 
um, in and out. And then if I start to wander, um, noticing that and then trying to bring it back to I am. Mm -hmm. And um, mine's always sitting. Uh, I can't really get into meditation laying. I don't really do like moving meditation because I can't really drop in in the way that I can when I'm sitting. And then if I am feeling like I really want to just kind of branch out, I'll do Tara Brock. Do you know Tara Brock? Of course. Yeah. She's, she's the best. Um, and so I'll do like a Tara Brock 15, 20 minute meditation. Like an insight timer mm-hmm. type of thing. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Her voice is like the only voice and I haven't done one of your meditations, but I need to, but yours is, is really nice and soothing, but hers is just very, I love her voice. Mm-hmm. Sometimes in some of the apps we have the call map is really great. Mm-hmm. Um, but the voice is very, I'm very particular about it. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. So I, I, um, I first got into meditation back in the 1990s when I was dabbling in yoga. I was living in New York city. I was modeling. I was in the fashion industry and, um, which required a lot of time spent in the gym. And one night I remember doing shoulder presses, presses up in, uh, the, there was this gym up on the Upper West Side of New York. Mm-hmm. You're familiar with New York, yeah. Too, yeah. right? We lived there. Seventy six in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. What was it called? It was this little gym called Equinox. <laughs> I was gonna say, I'm like, all the models go to Equinox. Like, but you went to Equinox. They only period. had two locations. <laughs> really? There was the 19th Street location, and there was the 76th oh, Street location. Wow. Yeah. So the 19th okay. Street was like the cool, hip location, and the 76th Street was like the kind of family location. Exactly. And it was started by these brothers. And anyways, you had no idea it was going to become this huge behemoth of a gym. But it was nice back in those days. And uh, so I was going to Equinox because I was living in that area. And um, and I remember one night these really attractive women, um, kind of like you guys, like glowing, <laughs> totally. and healthy Keep looking. Keep going. What else? They were standing there barefoot with these little rolled up mats. And again, this is in the mid 1990s. So yeah. there wasn't like a yoga scene. There certainly wasn't a meditation scene. And, um, and uh, I just got curious while I was doing shoulder presses about what, where they were going. Cause everyone just looked so healthy. And I, I kind of wandered in there and found myself in my first yoga class. And, uh, and it was a horrible experience uh, because I was very, very stiff. I've always been very stiff, could barely touch my toes. And the teacher, I was the only guy in the class and the teacher who was a woman for some reason gave me all this attention and I just, I was so embarrassed because, you know, she was trying to contort my body into these different positions and then I like bounce back like a thick rubber band. <laughs> but it was also, uh, I don't know, I was hooked. I kept going back. I just figured that, that was the teacher for me and they had other teachers. So I tried other teachers and they had these real like classically trained yoga teachers because there weren't a lot of yoga studios back then. So everyone was talking about meditation and all these different books and Eastern philosophy. And there was no music. There was no like hip hop music or anything like that, like you hear today. And so I started uh, forging these relationships with my yoga teachers 
who would invite me to their apartments with some other yoga students and we'd sit down on the floor and we'd meditate. And, and that's kind of how I got introduced to meditation. And then you'd read the books. I was obsessed with conversations with God and the Celestine prophecy and you know those kinds of new age, modern Eastern philosophy books. And everybody made references to meditation or samadhi and nirvana. And, and so I was just curious, like what this state, I knew there had to be something to it because everyone was talking about it. But my own personal experience was just basically me sitting there staring at the back of my eyelids. So I didn't know if there was something wrong with me or my mind or if there was something wrong with the approach, but I just kept dabbling and dabbling and dabbling. And then, and then uh, finally, I ended up moving to Los Angeles a few years later, and um, and then I met a meditation teacher who gave me a mantra and taught me how to use it. And, and that's where I started really enjoying the practice of meditation and then ultimately became trained by my teacher to become a teacher myself. Mm. How did you get from, you went to Alabama, right? Yeah, so I grew up in Alabama. And then I left there after I graduated from high school and I went to DC to college. And then when I graduated from there, I moved to Chicago and I started working in advertising for a few months. That was my only real job. And it was a great job. It was like a dream job. It was in the creative department. I was a junior art director, but I kind of looked around and saw the people who had been there the longest even in the creative department. And I don't know, no one, people just didn't really seem all that happy. And I, I felt like advertising is always going to be here and I can always come back and do this if I wanted to. But since I'm feeling young and free, why not just go out and explore and follow my heart? And again, this is like in the nineties. So there wasn't a whole lot of emphasis placed on working in a, your passion and following your purpose and all of that. But for some reason I was able to kind of tap into that and, um, and follow through on it. And so, yeah. And Did that, you get discovered for modeling or what was that like? No, I didn't. I didn't know how it was supposed to work. <laughs> I, uh, I didn't even know about that. I, I, I kind of, discovered myself. <laughs> so, You're like, damn, you fine. Yeah. On the so, level that you can get paid for right. it. What had happened was I, I did a couple of amateur fashion shows in college. So, but I didn't really understand that that was amateur compared to what real modeling was. I just figured, well, somebody wanted me, thought I was good looking enough to get a fashion show in college. So maybe that means I can be a supermodel. <laughs> <laughs> and I started going around to open calls to castings when I was living in Chicago. And I had some pictures that were shot by this fine arts photographer. There we go. <laughs> Naked, but whatever. Yeah, yeah honestly. <laughs> so people looked at it and were like, nah, thank you so much. <laughs> and, uh, and I got turned down by everybody. So, but again, you know, when you're young and you're naive like that, you don't think, you don't think it's you, you think it's them. So I met this um, photographer who was a fashion photographer and she said, oh, I'll take some pictures of you. And so I got my pictures redone and then I went back and got rejected by everyone again with my new pictures, except for the last agency I went to go see. So for those of you who don't know, 
you know, with modeling, you have an agent, you have an agent in different markets. So if you're in Chicago, you'll have a Chicago agent and you also may have a New York agent and a London agent and a Paris agent and Miami agent like that. So, but one of the, the person who you initially sign with sign is in air quotes because you're not actually signing anything. If, if you're discovering yourself, if they discover you, then they may sign you if they're guaranteeing you a certain amount of money or whatever, or contracts. So um, I I was taken in by this agency in Chicago, Elite, Elite and uh, and they became my mother agency. And, and then they started sending me to other places. So I went to Miami, I went to Paris, I went to Milan, I went to, I eventually ended up in New York and uh, stayed in New York for about seven years. Wow. But I was never like a supermodel of my imagination. I was working part-time as a waiter. And and then eventually after a couple of years, I started making enough money modeling to support myself. But then it started to decline a few years after that. And that's where I retired and moved to Los Angeles to follow my dreams of becoming a yoga teacher Mm. in 2002. So just in terms of like where your curiosity stems from, because I do find it rare that men are curious about the things that you've been curious about or so open mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. you know, like Especially from Alabama, Alabama. <laughs> would you, were you an athlete? No, I wasn't. You actually. look like an athlete. Yeah. yeah you're no. like built like you're and built tall. like an athlete. And you're well, I, I actually never really worked out or anything or played sports. How'd you figure out how to work up. out and stuff? Interesting. Uh, I was, <laughs> these are really good questions because no Thank one's ever you. asked me these questions before. <laughs> yeah, get ready. It's going to be a wild <laughs> ride for you. <laughs> so one, one morning, this is the most random thing. What, I, I, I really love my advertising job for the one that I have for three months. And, and that summer in Chicago was one of the hottest summers on record. So in my apartment, in Hyde Park didn't have any air conditioning. So I literally would wake up at two or three in the morning and put my head in the freezer for a little while just to cool off. People were literally were dying that summer in Chicago. So anyways, I started going to work at like six o'clock in the morning just because it was air conditioned. And I also enjoyed it, but you know, just because it was nice to be there on my own and all that. So I remember going there one morning really, really early and the door was locked and um, and I couldn't get in. So I thought, well, let me just go kind of explore. This is down on Michigan Avenue in downtown Chicago. So I'm just kind of walking and I go around the corner and I see this, I go into this building and I see this sign for this place called Bally's. I didn't know what Bally's was. <laughs> You're like, so I see curves. Right. <laughs> I don't know what curves is. <laughs> so I just walk downstairs and uh, next thing I know I'm in Bally's health Club. You're doing lats. <laughs> yeah. And uh, people are in there working out. And I'd never really even been in a gym before. Like I said, I never, I literally hadn't done <laughs> any exercise. Think? Like, was it mm-hmm. weird? Or were you like, I want to do that? It was weird. And, and I, I wanted to do, do that. that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I kind of signed up That's for cool. a thing. And I thought, you know what? This will be a great way to get out of the heat. And it'll be give me something to do before I go to work every day. But why not? And I, I went in there and I started, uh, literally every day I would go in there and, and work out. So that's how I started getting introduced to physical fitness is through not being able to get into my office one morning and it was being, it was really hot outside. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah I feel like 
Yeah, you just kind of like float from what, like, or at least now you're you're I'm describing. I'm just curious. It. I've always been a very curious mm. person. So I know, but don't you feel? And I'm sure you've met people and have probably helped people through. But when things are things pop up where they're challenging, like no air conditioning mm-hmm. or whatever it is, they usually just either run the other way or there's a lot of resistance to it, and yeah. it's like this fight or flight. So what about? perhaps even before college, like your upbringing yeah. created that within you. You know what? I think, honestly, I I can remember always feeling that way, being curious. Now I have to give credit to my family. They've been, they've been very supportive. They never had an agenda for me in my life. You know, you should do this, you should do that. They, I, I had the idea to go to college because, you know, that's just what people did. I never really even thought about that. But um, as far as, you know, putting myself in the situations where I could explore things. I've kind of always done that. It started with, you know, I remember doing the, the safety patrol as a kid, you know, in, in, in elementary school. So literally when I'm six, seven years old, you know, those little, the guys who are out with the mm-hmm. flags mm-hmm. helping yeah. people <laughs> cross the street, <laughs> yeah, block, stop the traffic and cross the street. Were you like being mentored by one of them? I, well, I, I don't know. I was just fascinated was by the whole thing. Was it just you alone? <laughs> no, it was, there was a whole platoon of us. Okay, there were like, like ranks. You could become a lieutenant. You could oh, become a captain. Shoot. You had a uniform that you had to wear. And I would, you know how sometimes parents, they, they have to like drag their kids out of bed to yeah. force them to go to school today and barter and negotiate. I was the opposite. I would wake up super early and I was like, I couldn't wait to go to school. So I would have to be there at like six six thirty to do the safety patrol, and have my little uniform on and <laughs> ironed and everything. And my whole family would be asleep, and I would just get up, make my cereal, and then walk you make over. Coffee, yeah. <laughs> make my, Read the paper. My flat white. See you later, family. So I've been doing that, and then when I was as soon as I turned thirteen, I went down to the barber shop and um, and asked the barber, the owner of the shop, to if I could sweep up hair. And, uh, you know, for, as a, as a job, cause I just, I just couldn't wait to work. And then I, you know, I just start, so I started working very early like that. And I just, I don't know. I was just, I would just go out and do that kind of stuff. You know, I remember one, one time freaking my mom out cause I just decided I was going to, I was, I grew up in Montgomery, Alabama, which is kind of a small town, but still big enough to get into some trouble, you know? And, um, I just left my house one day and just went for a little walk around the corner. And the next thing I know, I'd walk like five miles to the local mall. And, you know, there's no cell phones, there's no pages, there's no nothing. So I was just out walking. And then I called my mom from a payphone from the mall. And uh, she like freaked out. Cause like, how did you even get there? And da 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 da. <laughs> she came You're and like picked a long highway. You're like, yeah. <laughs> But little stuff like that, I would just—I don't know—I would just do. do it. Yeah, I guess mm-hmm. it gave me time to think, or just seeing if I could do stuff. I would love to know what you were thinking about. <laughs> I would love to know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember. I got safety patrol. It's been a hard week. <laughs> <laughs> the seasons are changing. We and need the- more flags. Yeah. We need more uh, captains on the platoon. How did you get to uh, DC for school? Why didn't you stay in Alabama? Or ah, uh, just you know, growing up in Alabama, you just man, it's. It's, there's not a lot happening down there. You just want to get away. Yeah. That's all I thought about growing up was how bored out of my mind I was and how much I just wanted to get away to a big city. I wanted to go to all the big cities. I wanted to see the world, travel, 
Yeah, and D.C. seemed like a really nice nice place to be. International city, lots going on. And it seemed like huge when I went to D.C. to visit. Oh, my God, it's all this, every, there's all these lights. I'd never been in New York or L.A. or any of that kind of stuff. I just That was the biggest city I'd ever been to. So I was hooked when I first got there. And I also knew, I recognized that that was probably the first time that I actually had the experience of being somewhere or doing something and then feeling something that resonated with it. And then once I had that resonance, I just kind of knew, okay, this is it. And then it was decided, you know, just that kind of, you feel like you're in sync with the flow of that place. And, um, and I felt the same thing when I moved to New York, when I moved to LA, when I got into meditation, when I became a yoga teacher um, all of those different, when I quit my job, when I got my job, my, my advertising job, you know, it became a, a pattern. And then when I was 29, you know how they say, when you go into your Saturn return, you're like 28, 29, that's where I made the conscious choice. I said, okay, enough of this kind of, you know, fucking around. I'm going to start following this thing relentlessly. Like I'm not even going to question it anymore. Whatever it says, I don't care. Because when I looked back, I saw that it never led me astray. Even though in the moment, it felt like, you know, maybe it was smoking something, the voice. Mm-hmm. But when you, all, when you look back, you see that, oh, actually, it was, I was, it was directing me right where I, I was supposed to go. And, um, and that's where things really got interesting. Because I just, it was never even a question to not, not do it. It wasn't a matter of if I'm going to do it or not. It was... How soon can I build the courage to take mm. this leap? Because mm. I knew it, it was going to have to happen at some point. Mm. Was there ever a time where you didn't follow it? Yes, there was. Yeah. When I was in, in, in around 2006. You're like, I lost the love of my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sips tea. We could do a whole thing. Right. <laughs> Mm. Sips tea, actually. <laughs> Around 2006, I had gotten involved in this um, this investment, this currency exchange investment, which on paper looked like a really good thing, you know, really great returns and all of that. And so I made a lot of money very quickly. And then I decided, okay, everyone's like flipping houses in L.A., so let me get a little bit of that action, a little piece of that action. And I took the money from the investment and I purchased about, it was, I took like $20,000, which is what I made from the investment. And I purchased $2 million of real estate. And this is back when they were giving people How do you do loans. That? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I was a yoga teacher making about $900 uh, a week. No, a month at the time. Wow. and. Was it a month? No, I was making about nine hundred dollars a week. Okay, yeah, and um, that ain't bad. Yeah, hmm? that ain't bad. No, it's not bad at all for a yoga teacher. For yoga, yeah. And so, yeah, two million dollars though. It's not two million dollar property. If anything goes wrong, enough, you know, type of money. <laughs> I didn't have any like savings, and you know, for a rainy day or anything like that. So anyways, when I was signing the paperwork for the property, something told me, you know, you may not, you may want to reconsider this. But 
at the same time, I was just curious about the whole thing. And, you know, I'd never really been in debt before that. And I was optimistic. But looking back in hindsight, I think I was probably more greedy than I was optimistic. And I was thinking, okay, I can't wait to, you know, prove that I'm this kind of financial wizard. <laughs> and uh, of course, in 2007, the market bursts. Everybody lost their shirt. I lost my shirt and my pants mm -hmm. and uh, was really close to filing for bankruptcy and ended up just clawing my way out of that whole thing. But, you know, at the same time, I learned a lot of things in that process and, uh, and I was able, actually able to uh, become a meditation teacher because, because I had these properties. One of the things that I uh, you 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 got in the mail were other cash advance offers because you were a property owner. So banks would just send you tens of thousands of dollars, zero percent interest for eighteen months or twelve months that you could do whatever you wanted to with. You could pay off other balances and transfer other money into other accounts. And so it was because I got one of those offers that I was able to afford to go away to India and stay away for a few months and learn how to become a meditation teacher. So there was still some some good that mm -hmm. came out of that, you know. But and and also fortunately I was single. I didn't have a family or kids or anything like that. So even though I had that loss, I, it didn't affect anyone else except for myself. It's mm, very true. Yes. How did it change your meditation practice or even just you know being um, present? I think it just re, it, it reminded me that happiness is not out in the in the external circumstances, you know. So when you see that you have the peaks and the valleys, and that was a valley moment for me financially and and circumstantially, um, I found that you know I'd been meditating for about seven years consistently at that point, and I found that it didn't really affect me as much as I thought it was going to affect me. You know, once I made the decision that, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to do the best I can to get out of it. And, and it was actually, it turned out to be a, a positive thing too, because the properties that I purchased weren't, they weren't like high-end properties. And I was starting to get these calls from people. Oh, I got attacked coming into the, the building. You know, the police are here, blah, blah, blah. And I just realized no amount of money is worth my peace of mind, you know? And, um. I'd rather just kind of wipe my hands clean of this situation than be sitting around feeling like I'm captive to whatever is or isn't going on in these properties. So yeah, that that's that was probably the last decision I made for money. And then after that, I was like, okay, all the decisions that I make, all the people that I work with are going to be people I actually like. And they're going to be decisions based on um, creating and and feeling inspired. Like I want to do things that are inspiring and not things just for money that I don't. Because I never had a passion about being a real estate mogul or even a property manager. Like I knew that wasn't passionate about that. So it's funny when you like do things because other people are doing it yeah. or mm -hmm. it's the time. Right. Yeah. Following and then the crowd. all of a sudden it kind of blows up in your face or it just doesn't work out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like I've done that before where it's just, yeah. Yeah. You always have that first thought which is like that intuitive thought and then the ego's like no 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 money. Mm -hmm. like yeah. you can, you can a get lot a lot of money, money. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well it's also too like it, for me personally it kind of goes to the belief that i 
which I do not have anymore, but the belief previously that I had that I can't make a lot of money doing what I love. So it would be like, you'd have that temptation. Like I could see myself doing that too. Um, you'd have that temptation to make this money doing this. And then I'd be like, okay, well now I can do my meditation because I'm making all this money in real estate too. Mm -hmm. You know, so I've thought about that with certain things as having um, parts of my life or parts of how I make money still going because I'm like, oh, then I can still do what I love. But, you know, that's not even really true. I think a lot of times, you know, I think we all kind of agree that we should listen to the voice inside, but it's not, it's not like you're walking around and there's just this one voice that's saying do this or don't do that. You know, there's that voice it's there, but then there could also be a hundred other voices from ego, from your conscious mind, from greed, from all these other places, from feeling not wanting to be alone, from fear. And so all of those voices are kind of competing with each other. And what I found is that that's one of the reasons why the practice of meditation is so essential is because it pure, it clarifies the, the underlying voice of your purpose, your passion that's keeping you here and relevant. So when you are able to listen to that, it doesn't, here's the other thing about it. When you're listening to that, it's not going to lead you to a place of greater comfort. It's going to challenge the status quo and things that are no longer relevant for you. So it's oftentimes is uh, is going to be it's going to take a lot of courage to hear that voice and follow through. And then that's why we kind of sometimes default to the ego because the ego is going to say, "Hey, look, you can be really comfortable. If this thing pans out, you're going to make all this money. People are going to really think you're smart, and they're going to love you're going to get more relations. You're going to get better partners, and you know you're going to get that nice house." So that's how you can kind of tell if there are all these voices, whichever the voice is challenging your idea that happiness is outside of yourself, that's your inner voice. And then the ego voice is trying to kind of snuff out the, the that part of you that wants to be challenged and wants to grow and wants to evolve beyond trying to find happiness outside of yourself. I feel like that's a lot of the reason and I agree with you. And I think that's a lot of reason why people are fearful to meditate because it's almost like an underlying understanding and knowing that like, if they do start to meditate, they're going to hear their inner voice and their inner voice is going to be a little scary and it's going to be yeah. conflict conflicting to the current life that they're living. And right. the answers that they get are scary because once you get those answers, it's then on you to do the decisions, do the hard work, you know, maybe break, break up with that boyfriend or girlfriend or partner or whatever right. that is, or, um, quit that job. And, you know, so it's, I think that that's a lot of the block with people with meditation yeah. is that you're finally going to hear yourself Yeah, and it's scary. Yeah. But it's, and it's, and it's also inevitable, like the change is going to have to happen. Yeah. So yeah, just you're just going to make it that? worse by mm. ignoring it. Mm -hmm. and, and, and what meditation does is scary, but it helps you kind of get in front of it. And, you know, I was telling you guys earlier when I walked in that I'm doing the whole nomad thing. I'd given up all my possessions that don't fit in a carry on bag. And now I'm just kind of traveling around and whatever, but there's a difference in consciously choosing to give everything up versus, Oh, I got evicted or such and such kicked me out of the house and I had to start over or some hurricane came through and wiped out all my stuff, right? Starting over from enforced change is always harder than, than making a conscious choice to 
make a change. And when you make the conscious choice, yeah, it's a lot more uncomfortable, but it's a lot more fun and adventurous too. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that's what's happening. I think, mm-hmm. I think a lot of times when we find ourselves experiencing a lot of suffering and misery, it's because there were cues there that we didn't listen to. And then we got kind of frog marched into the change against our will, kicking and screaming. And it just makes it a thousand times worse than if we were able to kind of listen to the cues, take action on them, which is going to be scary and uncomfortable and all of that. But we make the choice and which means that we can kind of, we can kind of navigate ourselves in whatever direction we want to be in and maintain a greater sense of a present moment awareness around what the next opportunity is going to be. And it's harder to do that if you're still looking back behind you thinking what happened and it wasn't supposed to be like this and, you know, being kind of stuck. Or as my friend says, uh, having keeping the past on life support. It, it robs us of our ability to be really present to whatever, because we can. We know that there are opportunities always happening around us. The only question is, to what extent can we see them? Mm. And I think humans just have this like competitive nature to hang on and mm-hmm. like to like see if they can fight through. Or I mean, maybe I just saw that a lot, like when I was living in New York, where yeah. I'm just gonna try and stick with it as long as I can. And it's like, and they almost like secretly wait for a change to happen instead of what you're saying is an act it yourself, which is more empowering and more peaceful. Well, they think the sign is supposed to literally smack them across the head, you know, when meanwhile, there are signs all over the place. And uh, we see this with health, you know? Yeah. You start coughing and runny nose and all that. It's a sign that you need to take, you need to rest. You know, there was some imbalance happening before. Maybe you were traveling a lot or you weren't sleeping properly or whatever. And your body is now telling you, you need to do something different. It doesn't mean that you can't continue on following through on whatever your, your vision was, but you also need to rest and just kind of do it a little bit differently. So I, that's how I kind of like to interpret it because I think a lot of people, especially, um, you know, when you don't have enough life experience, you start to mistake the roadblocks as, oh, this is not meant to be. But really what's happening is just that that particular path may not be meant to be at that particular time, but the overarching vision may still be very relevant for you. You just have to do it a little bit differently, you know? How do our listeners distinguish between like tests... Tests is, I'm using that loosely, but I find some, yeah, between tests and roadblocks or something that is not for them. Sometimes if I like say yes to something that's been calling me, there'll be a few things that happen that really kind of test my commitment to it. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you distinguish? Well, I think again, that's what, that's why the kind of inner, inner work is so necessary because all the answers are going to be coming from within. Like no one can really tell you what's relevant for you in this moment. Only you can, mm. can tap into that. And, and it's gotta be, it's gotta be a moment to moment thing because you can download a sign right now. doesn't mean that it's going to be relevant 20 minutes from now. So if you wait 20 minutes to do the thing that you should have done 20 minutes ago, it may no longer be relevant at that moment, in which case you may make a mistake, right? Because there was some new information that was being presented. So, the richest information about whatever's going to happen in the future and where we should be positioned to take 
full advantage of the future opportunity is only ever found in the present moment. So present moment awareness is the most important awareness to be tapped into. And that's what meditation does. It gives you access to whatever's happening in the present moment. Now, if you haven't been meditating consistently for 20, 30, 40 years, it's not going to happen next week. It's not going to happen tomorrow. But you can start laying the foundation now and maybe you know you 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 can capture the 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 epiphany or the insight or whatever it is 10% more now that you've been meditating every day and then next year you can capture it you know 25% more than you would have otherwise without meditating at all mm. and then as you continue on year after year it starts to become more of a regular thing and then it's the norm it's the new norm right but it it will stabilize slowly over time but we have to be consistent in our in our practice right and so that's you know there's no shortcuts to this unfortunately because the thing that's keeping us from being able to hear it or feel it or see it is our own stress accumulation you know sleep deprivation most of us are massively sleep deprived in our society how much do you sleep? Well, I'll, I'll answer that in a second. But just to put a number to it, the average millennial owes their body two to three years of missed sleep, Ooh. which means that if you fell asleep tonight in 2018, you have to sleep straight through to 2021 without waking up Doesn't sound bad. to pay off the sleep <laughs> debt that you owe your body, wow. right? And so everyone focuses on quantity. Okay. Well, tell me how many numbers. Okay. So I'll block out from, you know, eight o'clock at night until eight o'clock in the morning. I'll do 12 hours and then I'll, it doesn't work like that. It's not really about quantity. If you're getting mediocre sleep, it's really about quality. And one of the main benefits from consistent meditation is it increases the quality of your sleep. So to get back to Krista's question, how much sleep do I get? I get about an average of five hours of sleep a night, maybe six, okay? But if you're getting a high quality of rest, then that's the same as someone else who's sleeping for 10 hours getting mediocre quality of rest, right? So that's what we want to put our focus on is, and you can't, you can't hack the sleep without getting rid of the thing that's inhibiting you from being able to get into a higher quality of sleep, which is the stress. The stress is mitigated by chemicals, cortisol, adrenaline, and all of that. Those are the most stimulating chemicals the body produces, right? It's meant to keep you on edge, worried, and strong enough to run away from a bear attack, right? But you don't need to feel those ways when you're lying in your temperpudic mattress at night with a lavender on your pillow in your quiet room, you know, supposedly sleeping and not being able to sleep because, you know, your mind won't turn off. Well, the mind is not going to turn off if the body's telling the mind, be on alert, be on alert, be on alert. There's danger, 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 danger. So rest is like kryptonite to stress, right? And so what meditation has been shown to do very effectively it's called the relaxation response. And I talk about it in my book, Bliss More. 
it can take the body beyond that threshold, in other words, that barrier of mediocre rest, and get it into a deep and profound state of rest, two to five times deeper minute for minute than sleeping, the mediocre sleep. And as a result, the rest chemicals go in and they're like, they like, they're like Drano, they start dissolving the stress chemicals in the nervous system. And as a result, whether you want to or not, you start sleeping like a baby. And now that you've gotten sleep back online, your reproduction system can come back online and your digestive system. Because all of these long-term survival systems, they get compromised when the body is going in and out of the stress reaction so many times because it takes up too much energy for the body to digest food and protect you against the bear and reproduce and protect you against the lion and balance your hormones and protect you against the dangerous, you know, tiger. So once the body is, is satisfied that the tiger and the bear and the lion are finally gone away, they're out of the bedroom, then it can finally slip off into the deep and profound state of sleep that it's already designed to experience. And now you have an outlet for the stress that comes in during tomorrow it can come in, whatever your day is like, doesn't really matter because it goes right back out in your sleep. And then ultimately the body can go into yesterday's uh, archives of stress that was stored up and not released and get rid of that. And then last weeks and then last months and then last years. And then ultimately it can get into whatever happened during childhood and pull that out. And, and how do you know this? Because you find that you're able to be more present in the moment. Less and less things, sensations, feelings yank you out of the present moment. So present moment awareness is not something we need to read about and study and remind ourselves, be present, be present, be present, because that, that's not going to put us in the present moment. It's a spontaneous occurrence of, of having a nervous system that is more balanced than not. And then as a result, we're just naturally present. And the way you know it is you're not even thinking about being present. You're just in the moment. You're just enjoying whatever's happening around you, wherever you are. You can be in traffic. You can be in the post office. You can be any of those situations that people find boring and monotonous. And you're just fascinated by everything and the light and the sounds and the people and look at what the people are wearing. And it's all just, it's like a kid, you know, you can put a kid in a post office. They're not bored. They're just looking around and they're playing with things and you put something in their hands and they look at it. And so you have this kind of childlike innocence and the sense of wonder everywhere. And, and that's what present moment awareness really, really feels like. It's mm. beautiful. Yeah, that's really good. We cultivate that on our walks. Mm-hmm. We look at all the trees right. and all the plants. Yeah, yeah so it's easy to do it in nature, mm-hmm. but the real yeah. question, the real mastery level is can you do it in With my phone the in office, my hand. <laughs> can you do it in traffic? And can mm. you do it in those other places that we've already kind of predetermined mm. to be obstacles to right. our day? Did you ever have to get rid of stressors in your life, toxic relationships, maybe toxic things putting in your body that kind of changed or like kind mm-hmm. of freed your body up of even more of that? Or yeah, you know. Um, <laughs> So when I was modeling, I was, um, you know, I was, I, I grew up in Alabama, so that's kind of middle America, fast food central. So I literally would eat fast food, like 
people drink water. Like it was nothing, right? Every day I would be at Arby's or be at Wendy's or order pizza at night. And I remember one time in high school, we had this exchange student from France and uh, we were talking one day and I, was, I said to her, I said, you know, so how often do you eat hamburgers in France? What do they do? What's the French hamburger quotient? And she's thought about it and she goes, oh, probably uh, once a year. And my jaw just dropped. Like I couldn't even imagine how anybody <laughs> could get through a week without eating at least half a dozen hamburgers. Wow. <laughs> That's what you were doing? And she said, well, yeah, every Damn. day, every day, all day. Huh? So Whoa. that's that's the the extent to which I was like basically living on a fast food diet, wow. this the the standard American diet. Yeah. So fast forward, I'm in I'm in Miami now, and uh, I'm trying to get into the fashion industry, and uh, and I was I had been tracking this one guy, his name is Michael Anderson, and uh, he's this really handsome guy, um, kind of a mixed race blue eyes, like just, you know, he was getting so much work, like every magazine. I, I, I spent hours in Barnes and Noble just looking through magazines and I always see this guy and I go, God, this guy's getting so much work. I want to get as much work as he gets. And uh, so anyways, I'm walking down Washington Boulevard or Avenue, whatever it's called in, my, mm-hmm. in South Beach. And I see Michael Anderson standing on the freaking corner. And it was like, wow, I'd spotted Jesus Christ or wow. somebody. So I'm like all nervous and I'm like, and he's just standing there. I don't think, I think he was, didn't have a shirt on. He was on, on a skateboard. He was, he was chain smoking a cigarette. Wow. And, um, and so I kind of nervously walked over to him and I'm all dressed up like, you know, like how I thought models should, should mm-hmm. present themselves. <laughs> Meanwhile, it was exactly the opposite. You should look like a homeless person if you really want to so do well in the modeling industry. So true. And uh, so I walk up to Michael and I say, excuse me, um, I, I'm a big fan of your work and this and that. And he's just standing there looking at me and he's like taking some, you know, drags of the cigarette. And, uh, and I tell him I'm new to modeling and you know this and that. And he finally says, you know what? You should give up meat. And I said, what? He said, you should give up meat. I said, okay, why? He said, your jaw lines would be more pronounced if you gave up meat. Your, your skin is holding, it's retaining a lot of uh, water because of the salt in meat. And so it was like God telling me to stop eating meat. <laughs> so I already knew I was going to stop eating meat. The only mm-hmm. question was, how was I going to do it? Mm. So even though it was purely for vanity purposes, because I just wanted to be able to compete for those same jobs, like nothing. I had no, no, no idea about the health consequences or anything like that. I started cutting out meat and then I noticed that I stopped getting headaches. I used to get headaches all the time, so much so that I would take extra strength Excedrin every day in anticipation of the headache that I knew was coming. And I've been doing that since high school. My mom, you know, my mom would literally give me bottles and bottles of extra strength, et cetera. And I remember getting an ulcer one time and, and then researching it and realizing it was from taking all that, all that um, ibuprofen. So anyways, I started cutting out meat. I started feeling better. And then I realized, oh, wow, there's a connection here. I stopped eating the fast food. I'm feeling better, you know. 
And then I started getting really curious and I started seeing, okay, well, what else am I doing that's, that's not good for me, right? Because there was no wellness scene back then. And so I didn't really have any mentors. I read the- the Except the, for Michael. No, well, Michael, <laughs> yeah, well, he was, yeah. He could have shown me how to smoke cigarettes. I, <laughs> um, I read Diet for a New America, and that really changed my life. I read the Gabriel Cousins uh, book. I can't remember the name of it, but it was one of the pivotal books on the health scene at the time. And I started just transforming my whole diet and uh, became a vegetarian. And then I started to become vegan. And then this is over years and years. I started fasting once a week. I started cutting out. I started cutting out sugar. I started cutting out cooked foods. At one point, I was raw foodist for a while. This actually conflicted with my modeling career because I started losing all this weight because I wasn't really eating enough food. I, I got down to cutting everything out, like literally everything, bread, any, anything that was good, alcohol, stopped drinking alcohol. I'm in my mid-20s now. And then I got down to lip balm. And believe it or not, lip balm was the hardest thing to stop. Wait, what? Lip balm just putting lip balm on my lips. I realized that I was I was walking around, I was walking around with four and five little tubes of lip balm on me at all times because if I didn't have it on my lips after 5 minutes, I couldn't I would be on edge because my lips would get really really dry. And I would read about how, you know, lip balm actually dries out your lips. And your lips can naturally moisturize themselves. So I just went cold turkey on lip balm. And uh, it was a hard 30 days. It was a long 30 days. Um, but eventually woke up one morning and my lips just started naturally moisturizing themselves. And so I stopped stopped that. And so this is back, again, this is back in my mid-20s when I when I had all these experiments. And just really enjoyed, enjoyed seeing what I could live without and how I felt as a result of it. And then since then, I've kind of reintegrated a lot of those things back. I still don't really drink that much. Um, I, I'm not vegan anymore. I still, I started eating meat again, although I, I'm vegan friendly. So if I'm in a vegan restaurant or a vegan, you know, festival, I'm not going to be freaking out like, oh, where's my meat? I'm totally fine doing all that. And, uh, and I haven't touched lip balm again since those days. Damn. Wow. It's crazy. <laughs> Are you all lip balm addicts? No, not addicts. Okay. When I was little, my sister I think is addicted to like birds bees. A lot really? of people are addicted to lip balm. I yeah. just lose it. Like mm -hmm. I don't have it with my possession enough to be addicted. Right. And I you think know? it just gives me the like cue, false. like, oh, you need water. Yeah. That's you need to be same. hydrated. That's but you I guys think. wear lipstick and stuff. I mean, it's kind yeah, of yeah. Lipstick dries my mouth, my yeah, lips out same. for sure. Same. It'll be all crusty for a day. <laughs> Nice. That's yeah, really hot. <laughs> Tell us more. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to crusty lips. touch on like the happiness piece too, because yeah. I think a lot of people um, around our age or even younger, I was just talking to my brother and um, he said something and he's like, I just want to be happy. And I was like, yeah, I know. But I, I do think there's like this myth about being happy or something around it that like people are just going to the idea of happiness and skipping some things that could bring them happiness. Totally. Do you know what I mean? I, yeah. I think the myth is that happiness is a choice and you hear this a lot in the wellness community and the mm. spirit in the yoga community. All oh, you just choose happiness. You know, you just have to be the focus yeah. on what's making you happy or a lot of the life coaches will have you thinking that you're not abundant enough or, you know, as soon as you start to 
align yourself with your passion, your purpose, then you're going to be happy. And, and I don't think those are the, that's really the case. Yeah. I think it's the opposite. I think it's, uh, you know, happiness is, is a state of awareness that needs to be cultivated. And, uh, and once you have cultivated it sufficiently, you'll find yourself just kind of naturally and organically making choices that puts you in alignment with your purpose. I don't think it's a thing where you have to consciously force yourself to be in alignment with anything. If you're not feeling, if you're not genuinely feeling that state inside, if it's not being directly experienced, I don't think it can be an intellectual concept mm. and without any direct sensual experience and still lead you to where you you really want to be or where you're most useful. So I, I, I wrote this book, The Inner Gym, and it came out in 2014. And the tag up line was happiness is not a choice because happiness is not a choice. And the whole thing was, it's an inner workout for strengthening happiness. And I equated happiness with doing pull-ups, right? Like for instance, everybody understands how to do a pull-up. Krista, how many pull-ups can you do unassisted? Um, like 40 or so. Uh, <laughs> I would, I'd Five love to see zero. that. <laughs> yeah. One. How many can you do? One, one. unassisted. You, uh, how, why me zero, why one? Right. You know how to do one though, right? Yeah. Like everybody understands yeah. it intellectually. And I think happiness is like that. Like we understand the idea of happiness, mm. but if life places a demand on us, such as, you know, do 10 pull-ups and you can only do one pull-up, you're not going to be upset with yourself that you couldn't do all 10 because in your mind, you probably could go there, but in your body, you hadn't really trained sufficiently to be able to go there. But you do know that, you know, if, if it needed to happen, you could just spend some time training. You do one for a week and then maybe you get up to two like that and you train and you train and you train and maybe after five or six months, you're able to do 10 pull-ups, right? And, uh, and so then if life places a demand on you and says, can you just do two pull-ups? No problem, I do two pull-ups, right? So when life places a demand on us, such as, you know, it's time to leave that relationship or it's time to leave that job and we haven't trained sufficiently our inner muscles, then it's going to seem like it's just too hard because the little happiness that we think we're getting from that situation and the truth of the matter is it's just, you know, it's enough happiness to get us to do one pull up. It's not enough to get us the courage and the strength to be able to really pull away in the way that will honor our deserving power. So what happens is we end up slipping back into those situations or finding another situation that resembles that situation because we just haven't cultivated the strength and the willpower to really properly pull away and the present present moment awareness to be able to spot the next opportunity that takes us to the kind of next level of growth and evolution. So we just keep replaying the same thing over and over and over. And, um, and, and, you know, so then the, the storyline becomes that person doesn't make me happy or that job doesn't make me happy. But the truth of the matter is we just haven't cultivated enough happiness within because it's not that person's responsibility to make us happy, right? A job, a relationship, a situation can only ever be an outlet for the happiness that we have inside. So if we're miserable inside, it doesn't matter what the other person has going on, that relationship will become at some point a showcase for our own personal level of misery and, you know, maybe a little bit of happiness sprinkled in. 
And I think when people understand that and they see it as their responsibility, then it gives a whole new reason and meaning behind the inner inner exercises, right? And when I say inner exercises, I'm not talking about inner physical muscles. I mean your emotional and spiritual muscles, you know? So some of the exercises that I research that can take us, can raise our base level line of happiness are very, very simple stuff that we've been taught since we were little children, you know, be grateful. So gratitude exercises, I'm sure you guys have done a lot of that kind of work. Um, slowing down and just appreciating the moment a little bit more, being patient, random acts of kindness, you know, sharing, giving things away without feeling like you have to hold on to them so tightly. Obviously, meditation is one. And then there are other exercises, dancing and volunteering time to help other people who who may not have as much as you, and that, that kind of thing. So just very simple stuff that we should be doing all the time anyway. That raises the baseline level of happiness. And how do we know? Because we have an easier time following the heart and, and, and graduating ourselves from unsustainable relationships. Pondering that. <laughs> so what is the type? So is there with types of meditation or for the listeners that really aren't familiar? Yeah. Um, can you familiarize, familiarize them with the types of meditation sure, that there are? Absolutely. So I, I, I'm an advocate for all meditations, first of all. I just want to put that on the record, okay? My personal practice is Vedic meditation, which is known to be one of the householder styles of meditation. And that distinction is made because it's different from what people would describe as the classical approach to meditation, where you're sitting with your back straight and your legs crossed and your fingers together, and you're probably doing it on a cushion or maybe on the floor. So that, that approach to meditation is also effective. It's just a lot more challenging physically. And because it's physically challenging, especially if you don't have a very, very flexible body, then it's going to cause your mind to feel busier than it already is. And the reality is that everybody's mind is technically busy, meaning that no one's walking around with a blank mind. We are, we're all having a series of thoughts and they say that at the end of the day, we've all experienced tens of thousands of, of unique, discrete thoughts, right? And most of those thoughts are recycled from yesterday. So that's why the mind feels busy is because we're basically playing out Groundhog's Day every day, moment to moment. And, and one of the reasons why we're addicted to social media is because social media presents the mind with newness, with new possibilities. And so we, we get addicted to that because... We're all, we're, it allows us to constantly compare and contrast the Groundhog's Day experience with whatever is happening in other people's lives and it makes us long for those other th possibilities. So anyway, um, when you sit down and, and, and meditate in the householder approach, one of the first instructions is you sit comfortably. You relax. You can do it on your couch. You can do it in your car. And just by adjusting your body position like that, you free your mind up to leave the kind of busy surface level of awareness and to go into a more settled state. So that's what I personally do. And that's what I've been teaching people how to do using settling sounds or mantras. And people are able to literally go from this kind of busy, frantic, I can't meditate feeling to a yummy, deep, tranquil, blissful experience in the meditation. And this is with no, uh, 
prior experience. This is just literally sitting there and allowing it to occur. It's not something you have to force or manipulate or control. In fact, if you try to control it, it'll keep the mind busy. If you just allow it to occur, then it happens rather spontaneously in the same way that a dream may happen. If you just lie down and close your eyes, you don't have to force yourself to dream. It just, that's a feature of the experience. So we have this within us, all of us do. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, how smart you are, how many degrees you have. You have the ability to meditate in the same way that everyone has the ability to swim. If you learn how to move in concert with the water, then you may glide across the water. And if you learn how to operate in concert with your mind, you can glide through your thoughts into a more settled state. And it feels really, really yummy and delicious. And usually what happens is people become addicted to it very, very quickly. And I mean that word in the, and not in the you know recovery sense, <laughs> mm-hmm. where it's an unsustainable habit. It's something that I will say dependent. You, your body starts to, to look for the chemicals that are released during the meditation, the really high quality bliss chemicals, which are also very restful for the nervous system and, and has all kinds of really amazing um, health benefits. What are those uh, you have you have endorphins, you have serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, all the classic happy chemicals. You have beta endorphins, you have anandamine, you have norepinephrine. I mean, all of these are the, if you don't have the serotonin and dopamine, you you can't be happy. You can't feel happy. If you don't have oxytocin, you can't feel connected to anyone. So people who are experiencing depression, it's not that they're depressed people. It's that they're experiencing life through depressed nervous systems. It's the nervous system. It's the body that's depressed. It's the body that's anxious, right? And so that is an indication that there's some imbalance that has happened in their life, maybe as a result of trauma, maybe just not from getting the needs that they, that the body's needs, uh, love, food, whatever. Um, they have having to overcome some sort of deeply emotional traumatic experience at some point in their life. And it causes an imbalance, which then it, it, it manifests as depression, right? So that means now the body is in the point where it's not producing dopamine and serotonin like everybody else's body. And it doesn't matter how much money that person has, doesn't matter who's around them, doesn't matter if they're in the happiest place on earth, Disney World, or wherever they are, they can't feel that emotion of happiness, right? And so that's why a lot of people who do this inner work, they're able to to remiss the body away from depression and back towards balance. And then once that starts happening, they find that they're able to get the chemicals that are that the body naturally produces and they're happy for no reason. And that's the real, real true happiness is you're happy for no reason. It's not because you got a raise. It's not because somebody said that you're attractive. It's not because, you know, you're you think you remembered something. It's just because that's that's your nature. Our nature is happiness. You know, a lot of people in certain meditation communities will say our nature is suffering. But I think suffering is really a a result of just um, mistaken perceptual acuity. But if you have have enough experience in going into your simplest form of awareness, your least excited state, you will will find that it's, it's just 
a, a great sense of fulfillment and bliss and, and, and oneness, which then gives you more access to that sense of wonder that we talked about earlier. Beautiful. Um, I'd love to know more about uh, the shine yeah. and how people can get involved and what it is. So when I stopped drinking, I obviously, I don't know, for those of you who don't drink, <laughs> do don't you guys drink? drink? No, so just it, occasionally. It changes your your social life a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't realize how much, as adults, how much of our social life is centered around mm-hmm. alcohol consumption. Mm-hmm. And it's fine. You know, it's like, I'm not going to, you know, it's not a big deal. People drink, whatever. But it's not the way I want to spend my time usually around um, this whole idea of happy hour being this thing where people come out and see who can lose the most amount of consciousness in the quickest amount of time in order to be happy, which doesn't make any sense at all. So I wanted to create a social event that contained the elements of socializing that I felt personally inspired by, such as, you know, TED Talks. Everybody loves a good talk, learning something interesting good food, healthy food and community and live music and comedy. And so the shine was sort of born out of that, that need just to have more community, more connection, bring together the people who also didn't feel the need to, to be tipsy or buzzed just to be out in social settings for a couple of hours and it started off very small with just a dozen people. And then it slowly grew over three or four years to 200, 300 people coming out about once every couple of months. And, uh, and having this variety show sort of experience in a sober setting. But, you know, again, having a lot of fun and a lot of connection and being, and the idea, the, the, the idea is to use this format, this platform to, inspire people to do more, to be more, and to give more. And so one of the promises we make is that when you leave there, you're going to be a lot more inspired to just be you and and use what you have to the, you do the most you can with what you have, right? And one of the highlights of the night is that we take $400 from the ticket sales, which is all, it's all nonprofits. No one's making any money, but we budget the venue and the food and all of that so that we have about $400 left over. And then we randomly select someone from the audience and we give them the $400 in cash on stage. And we tell them, take this $400 in cash and just do something to help people with. And then come back and tell us what you did with that money. And so over the years, you've seen all kinds of really amazing stories of what people did with $400. Um, Just a couple to share. There was um, one woman who used the money to pay for lift rides and for underwear for sexual assault victims. So I didn't know this and a lot of other people didn't know it, but when you are, when you report an instance of sexual assault, you have to go to the police station and they confiscate your underwear and they have some box of like this really terrible used underwear for you to put on instead. And obviously you're a bit traumatized, if not a lot traumatized. And so they won't let you drive yourself home and they normally put you in a cab and, you know, cabs can be a little bit creepy or a little bit sketchy if you're kind of, you know, triggered around all that experience, that trauma. So they have lift 
this woman, she she had a situation where she was uh, sexually assaulted, and uh, and she went through that whole process and just didn't feel better about it afterwards. And so she took the money and she helped other people. And one of the things that she found that she discovered was that a lot of victims of sexual assault are men, which a lot of people didn't realize either. So um, there was another woman who, oh, another guy actually, who this is in New York. He went to the used bookstore in New York and he bought, bought a bunch of classic used books. And he created these bookmarks uh, called the Gorilla Book Club, where you write down how how this book was meaningful to you, and he just leaves them out in public places. And the the call to action is, you know, read this book and write down what it meant to you, and then leave it somewhere. Yeah. So that's been happening for a couple of years. It's grown into its own thing, website, and all of that. So we've seen a lot of different things like that. And, and and the reason why we keep it at $400 is because we we want people to see that you don't have to be, you know, rich. You don't have to be Rockefeller in order to make a difference. Uh, you can make a difference with whatever you have now. We tell people at the show, you know, you don't have to win this $400. You, you may have a couple hundred dollars, you know, in your account. Go home and tell your kids or tell your significant other or your friends, hey, I won this money. Let's see what we can do with it. We have 30 days to do something really cool with it to help people. And uh, and we've had people do that. They just created their own challenge and they came back and showed us what they did with it. So if you're curious about it, um, we have a website, uh, theshinemovement.org. And then there's also a YouTube channel, The Shine Movement, where you can see videos of what people did with the money. Mm. And I've been, and it was amazing. It was so fun. I wanted to ask what what's new or what are you doing next year? Like, what are you excited about? Well, I've been promoting my book that mm-hmm. came out, Bliss More, How to Succeed in Meditation Without mm-hmm. Really Trying. And um, and people have been really uh, connecting with that because it's normally if people want to learn what I've been practicing, mm-hmm. they have to find me on a retreat or they have to be in Los Angeles or New York or London, take a personal course. It costs a fair bit of money and we spend a few days together. And, you know, what ends up happening in these kind of wellness circles, which I'm very much a part of, is you have to be wealthy and affluent and, you know, there are a lot of, there's not a lot of diversity and I wanted to democratize the level of training that I do so that you don't have to, you can be anybody as long as you can get a hold of a book or an audio recording or you know electric copy or whatever so so that was the impetus behind writing my book is to put this knowledge into a format that anyone could access and uh, and give them the same tools that the affluent you know people privileged people are able to get and and um, and that way everybody gets to access that state because I think we're in an age now where a lot of people are feeling very anxious and we're starting to realize it's not about making more money. You know, there was a thing I read once, Sig- Carl Jung was once asked by an interviewer, would you rather work for wealthy clients or for poor clients? And without even really hesitating, he said, I want to work for the wealthy clients. And of course, this confused the interviewer who's wondering why, why, why not the poor if, if money is not an issue for them. 
And he said, because with poor clients, you spend so much time trying to convince them that having more money is not going to be the answer to their problems. With wealthy clients, you can get right to the root of what the real problem is, you know? Mm-hmm. And and I think that a lot of people are living under the the presumption that oh, if only I had more money. And it's again, there's a there's a study that says that you need to have your basic needs met in order to feel fulfilled and happy. But yeah. beyond that point, once you have your basic needs met, having more money. In other words, being rich mm. and wealthy is not going to make you any happier. Mm. You know, that's why Diddy and all these guys have the song "Mo Money, Mo Problems," mm-hmm. <laughs> because a lot of times it creates more challenges. It's going to be the outro music. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, this was amazing. Yeah. And, um, so good. Yeah, I think part of you know what our community craves or what we felt is just like. The permission to go there and and mm-hmm. um, to know that everyone's meditation can look and feel differently. Yep, I just think that's really powerful. So they can find your book Bliss More everywhere books are sold. Yep, I'm everywhere books are sold. Um, and the Shine Movement And where else can they find you? Like LightWatkins.com at LightWatkins on social media. Great. Thank you for being here. Thank you Thank for you having so me. Much. This was fun. We're going to go snuggle in a blanket. Yeah. With light walk-ins. All three of us? Okay. We're making fall. Yeah, literally. <laughs> We're making fall happen over here. Yeah. <laughs> That's for damn sure. All right. Love you guys. Have a great week. Thank Talk you. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Such a good one. So good. Thank you so much, Light, for joining us. Um, you guys can find more information about light on his website and on Instagram Yeah, and would love to hear about your meditation practice. So make sure to join our secret Facebook group and tell us all about it. Yeah. Thank you so much for rating and reviewing as well. Um, they're still coming in every day and we read every one of them and we take them to heart. We don't take them lightly. So if you haven't rated and reviewed, um, we would love it. Here's our review of the week. Love these girls. Five stars. I've been listening to Krista and Lindsay for quite some time now, and they have been major players in helping me get my life on a better track. Their pod covers basically everything you need to know to create a more healthful life, physically, emotionally, mentally, financially, and spiritually. I found other self-improvement podcasts can be a bit too heavy or overwhelming sometimes, but Almost 30 always keeps it breezy. <laughs> Lindsay and Krista have some magical ways of making everything seem fun and interesting, and I value their vulnerability and beautiful personalities greatly. I've never met these girls, although I want to, but I feel like we are besties. This is one pod I know I can count on if I want to learn, grow, and laugh at the same time. Unbeknownst to them, Lindsay and Krista and Almost 30 have helped me through some of the most difficult challenges of my life to date. And I am forever grateful. Thank you so much, ladies. This is Caitlin from the US. Thank you so much. Uh, Fuck. I'm crying. Thank you, Caitlin. Every review is like that. It's like so thoughtful and sweet. And it's like just so nice. We will meet you. We want to meet you. So can't wait. Um, we will be touring this year, as you all know, yes. um, both domestically and internationally. So please check our website for updates. If you're not following us on Instagram, we do post all of our events and such there. So at Almost 30 Podcast, it's going to be a crazy year. We're yeah. really, really excited to meet more of you. So yeah. cannot wait. And if you are present at a 
college? I don't know. I don't know. Are you in attendance? If you're here, say I. <laughs> president. Um, remember when you, if you were a rebel, you'd say president. Did you remember that? No. That's what I did. I wasn't a rebel. So they, yeah, I know. Lindsay was like, president. Because they'd be like, hey, who's here? And they'd be like, Tommy. And he'd be like, present. And they'd be like, Lisa, present. And they'd be like, Krista. I'd be like, president. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine that was like a cool thing to do. Oh, fuck yeah. It was. yeah. I was in the president. Yeah. <laughs> sure. I was young. I wasn't sexy yet. That's for sure. Um, oh, so we are also going to be touring colleges. So we're going mm-hmm. on a college tour, which is very important to us. It is important to get in front of, meet and connect with college age women. That was a pivotal time for Lindsay and I. So we want to help you guys, you know, get into self-care and all of that kind of stuff. So if you are at a college or working on a student activities council or something like that, we would love to connect with you and come to your college. That would be great. So if you are, email events at almost30podcast.com and we will connect with you that way. And yeah, thanks for subscribing. It really, really helps you to just get the episodes, you know, on your phone every week on Tuesday, Thursday, makes it a lot easier. And then rating and reviewing, as we said, really appreciate it. We love you. We love you so much. Bye-bye. Bye.